On this episode of Mindful Headlines, I talk to State Senator Tawana Nobles and talk about someone that's making headlines not only for her work as a lawmaker, but for who she is. Senator Nobles grabbed headlines when she became the first black member of the state Senate in more than a decade. Democrat and University Place School District board member Tawana Nobles has defeated Republican Steve O'Ban by a point and a half. The South Sounder claiming victory in the longtime red seat. Representing Lakewood, University Place, DuPont, and parts of Tacoma. Nobles is currently CEO of Tacoma Urban League. She's a wife and a mom of four kids. She's a former business owner and an educator. In fact, she has quite the life story, which she'll share in detail during this podcast. Her early childhood was filled with hardship, but also moments of triumph and extreme resiliency. Senator Nobles talks about how she's overcome difficulties in her life and how that's inspired some of the bills she sponsored this legislative session. Even if you don't agree with her politics, she's got an incredible story to share and a message about staying true to your authentic self. Senator Nobles, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you for having me, Jessica. I'm so excited to have a conversation with you today about your background, about the work that you've been doing in the state legislature. So um, I think this is going to be really inspiring and helpful to a lot of people. Let's start a little bit with um, how it's been to be a lawmaker in these unprecedented times. I mean, you've had quite the year. Yeah, it has been very interesting. I mean, we set some very ambitious goals for the session um, as a caucus. And I think as a legislature and we achieved so many of those goals, investing in our community, not just in COVID recovery, but in mental health and education and small businesses. So we achieved a lot, but it definitely was a very interesting time um, for all of us because we worked from home, primarily remotely. Senators were allowed to you know, work in their office anytime that they want. My office is not even set up yet. Um, And then I spent some time on the floor because we rotated senators on the floor. But I was here working while my kids were remote learning and asking me not to talk so much or talk too loud because they can't hear their teachers. Um, But I think, you know, overall, I'm so grateful for an opportunity to serve. I um, am very proud of our legislature and what we accomplished this session, especially as unique of a session it was. And I have so many reflections about what it means to be a senator, what it means to be, compared to the average age, a relatively young senator, the only current black senator, you know, representing the needs of the people and putting people over politics. I have so many thoughts and reflections on how I want to show up as um, a woman, as a black woman, as a human being, as a leader in our community. And so I think, especially as you are, you know, launching this podcast about mindfulness, I think that is just a constant journey I'm on and just thinking about how I'm showing up, who am I, what do I need to fulfill a lot of the roles that I play in in community, but who do I need to be for my community and how do I maintain and manage all of those things, all of those, those balls that are in the air. Do you have an answer to that? And have you had some reflection and time to think about, you made a lot of headlines as not only for your age, but primarily because you are the first black female state senator in decades. <laughs> Did that hit you when when that was happening and you were making all these headlines? Were you able to really think about that or has it set in? 
I think I'm still, I feel my eyes getting like teary eyed listening to you say that, you know, it is so meaningful, not just for me, it's meaningful for community. I'm still reflecting on it. I've been talking to my therapist a lot about just what this role and responsibility means, less about what it means to be in this role as, as a black woman, but I want to, in the beginning, think about what I want the end of this journey to look like. And you know, what, what I can say I feel proud of doing for our community and, and I can be proud and, and how I can be proud of representing our community. So I'm just starting early on processing all of it, the expectations um, from others, the expectations I have for myself, but I, I'm still just really reflecting and taking in the fact that I'm even a Senator. I just, I think I just feel like my normal self, but people will be like, Oh, Senator Nobles. And I'm like, you can call me Tawana, it's okay. Um, so I think I don't even right now recognize like the magnitude of it all. I'm just so used to showing up and serving and doing for others. And I've, you know, I've been a CEO, I've been a business owner, I'm a mom. I, I've worn so many titles that I don't necessarily feel like they change my, you know, passion to serve for others or just do good work in my community. But I don't know that I fully understand the magnitude and like the legacy and the historical nature of all of this, that my kids and grandkids will be able to look back and always see my picture in our Washington state legislature. And, you know, maybe in, you know, history books, but, you know, associated with some of the historic legislation we passed. I don't know that I have fully wrapped my head around it, but I'm using this time during interim because I still have a full-time job, but I'm using this time to really think and reflect and take really good notes and read really good books. You know, I was thinking, I'm like, I need to find a book on just how to be a Senator. I just, I mean, you're thrown in and they're like, get to work. So I, I'm like, just so people know, there is not a handbook really for how to do this. You just really just need to have your values in alignment and just want to do good for people but it's huge. And I just think I, it will take some time for me to wrap my head around. Like, I know how I look at other senators, like, whoa, Senator, but I'm like, wait, I don't want people to <laughs> look at me like that. <laughs> yeah. And in all fairness, I think it will take time and your full impact will only be felt, you know, many years down the line, you have accomplished so much. Like you said, you're a mom, you're an educator, you're a CEO. Now you're a Senator and you have this really full life from what I've read and I've done my research about you and it's really an impressive resume, but I know you've also had a lot of challenges in your life. Will you share with our listeners some of your journey and what has led you to become the person that you are? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I was born in Frankfurt, Germany. Both of my parents were in the army and in the eighties, um, my parents split primarily because my mom um, became addicted, it's the 80s, so she became addicted to um, crack, and that impacted her military career, impacted her relationship. She um, decided to um, leave her marriage, and she started um, dating this guy who was also in the Army, and I had two younger brothers as well. They were born in Monterey, California, but the three of us kids and my mom and her um, new boyfriend, we moved to Fort Benning, Georgia. He was stationed to Fort Benning because he was in the infantry. And so that was our introduction to the South. And my mom still continued to struggle with that addiction and 
um, started making some other choices that landed her in jail and then eventually in prison. And um, her boyfriend, who we called Daddy Rick, he um, actually passed away, I think just last year in 2020. Um, but he was this white guy who, when my mom was in prison, now had three black kids that he was taking care of. And um, she eventually went to prison in Atlanta, Georgia. So we moved from Fort Benning to Atlanta um, so we could all be close to my mom. Eventually she went to a halfway house and, um, but still struggled with that addiction and struggled with her relationship. So she picked us up and moved just a kid. She left that relationship and moved us kids to Columbus, Georgia, but without a, a plan. And Columbus is close to Fort Benning. So she was familiar because that's the area we lived before, but she didn't have a plan and she didn't have anywhere to live. And so that started us living in um, homeless shelters. Um, she made some friends along the way. So we lived with some friends, but we lived um, in shelters. She still had some um, some troubles with the law and, you know, still visited jail and prison. And so we kind of bounced around um, to a couple of family members. We moved to Philadelphia with my grandma and back and moved again to Philadelphia with my aunt. And um, eventually we, you know, she got us, got custody of us and we were living still in a Columbus, Georgia area. When I was in middle school, we moved to Phoenix City, which is, you know, it's just, it's similar. It's like University Place in Fircrest or Tacoma and University Place. It's like all right there. Okay. So we, we moved to Phoenix City, Alabama. I started middle school. We were living in another shelter and um, my mom decided she wanted to move again. She was going to move in with a friend. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to stay here. I feel um, stable here there's a routine here. I'm involved in like the church, you know, we had chapel. I had other responsibilities. I was helping at the front desk, um, helping to clean the clothing bank primarily because I got first dibs on clothing donations, um, helping in the kitchen. And I just felt like I didn't want to move again. I'm in middle school preparing to go to high school and I just wanted to stay. And she allowed me, I had established a relationship with the woman who owned the shelter. Her niece and I became friends. And I just was developing leadership skills then. Some of it I developed just with my mom's instability. I would take care of my brothers all the time. Sometimes she would leave for days. So I started serving in my family and taking care of my brothers and looking out for my mom. But um, I just remember fondly admiring the woman who owned that, who owned and ran that shelter. And I remember her large wooden desk in her office and her bookshelves um, filled with books and remember her having one earring off and being on the phone and just handling business and she was a, a black woman and I think that formed some of the early images of me seeing myself as a businesswoman as an entrepreneur leading an organization I knew I could do it as a black woman eventually my mom found housing I was a freshman in high school by that time and so I moved in with her, but she was still struggling with her addiction. She was ev eventually reported. And so then we went into foster care and my foster father was, my foster family was amazing. My foster father was a pastor, a trained engineer and had been a former city council member. My foster mom was a social worker. My brothers unfortunately were placed separately, but down the street in a different home. And so from my foster family, I continued my relationship with church, you know, continued, you know, my faith journey and um, also was introduced to public service. 
and was really intrigued that not only could I be competitive because I was an athlete, but I could serve my community if they selected me, if they chose me, if they wanted me to be their representative. And so I knew freshman year that one day I would want to run for office. Um, my dad got custody of us the end of my sophomore year. And so we moved to California with him for about a year. I met my um, ex-husband when I was a teenager, I was 16 and we got pregnant. My dad and stepmom were just completely embarrassed, not okay with it. So they made me move back to Alabama. They put me on a Greyhound. I moved back to Alabama with nowhere to live. So I went back to that shelter, now pregnant, ended up living with someone that I didn't know, but was like the friend of, um, or the aunt of the niece or the woman who owned the shelter. It was just, when I look back, it's just so crazy. But I'm living with this person I don't know, pregnant, gave birth and, you know, went back to her house after I gave birth, but then ran into some friends of mine that I ran track with. And they were like, what are you doing here? We thought you moved away. And I'm like, I'm back. I'm a mom now. And um, living with some person I don't know. And so they told their parents and their parents became emergency foster care parents. So then I had a second foster home and I stayed with their family until I graduated high school. When I graduated, they lived on this, our town is so small. So they lived on the same street as my first foster parents. So once I graduated high school, I went back to live with my first foster parents until I got my first apartment and started college. Um, but I did, I you know, graduated high school, started college, reconnected with my daughter's father. We were teenagers. So when I went from California to Alabama, there was no way as a teenager, he could just cross the country. But he decided, well, if he joined infantry back in my hometown where Fort Benning is, um, he would have to be trained at Fort Benning. We could get married and, you know, raise our family. And so that's what he did. He came, did basic. Um, after basic, we got married. Our first duty station was Fort Lewis, Washington. Um, and so we moved here with our little baby and, um, I started school at TCC and then went to University of Puget Sound and studied my undergrad is in US politics. I have a master of arts in teaching. I started teaching and coaching and just jumping right into this community as a military spouse. We had two more kids while I was an undergrad in grad school. And then um, after 16 years, we ended our marriage and um, I had you know, run for a school board and was serving as a school board member just still serving in community, serving in a PTA, um, loving and raising my family. And a few years ago, got um, remarried next month. It will be three years, our three-year wedding anniversary. Um, but I have my four kiddos from my first marriage and a lovely um, husband now, JR. And, you know, now find myself in this state that welcomed me as someone who wasn't from here and I'm serving as a state senator, but I think, you know, all of what I have been through and experience really helps me to understand the needs of community from addiction and mental health to the importance of um, the needs of our veteran community to the needs of our unhoused community, just having empathy for our teen moms um, and our youth in foster care. It has definitely given me a unique perspective. Um, and an openness to hear and understand those issues. And I think it helps me overall to be a better mom, leader, woman, and community member. Um, so I'm grateful for those experiences. And obviously I'm here still standing and maybe in some of your other questions, you know, in more detailed ways, I can talk about how I had to overcome the brokenness that is associated when you go through those experiences. 
I, th I don't think anyone can come out of them unharmed. How it shows up is different for everyone, but I had to take very intentional steps to not be that broken girl who was kind of abandoned by mom and dad and, and didn't have that initial attachment to someone who could love self and love community and love you know my family and be the woman that I am today. But that's kind of my journey and background in a nutshell. <laughs> Yeah, and it's quite a lot. And I do want to ask you about some of the specific bills that you sponsored. But I also just what struck me because I have been obviously watching your journey a little bit of it anyways, in the news as we cover it on King Five um, before you were elected and then when you were elected. So I was a little bit familiar, but what I'm finding myself feeling as you were telling me your story is just the resiliency that you showed, even at a young age. I want to ask you, was that something innate or was that something that, you know, you saw something that someone said something to you? Because as a middle school student, to have the wherewithal to say, no, I find stability here in this shelter and I want to stay here. I mean, there's not a lot of kids at that age that would say something like that. Yeah, there was always something in me that allowed me to just make different choices about my environment. Um, my mom and my brothers would always say, oh, Tawana thinks she's all that, you know, she thinks she's better than us. And I just had a really good head on my shoulders from a very early age. And then because also on my own, I just established, um, and you know, you may have to edit this part out, but I, I established a relationship with God at a very young age. And I would take my brothers to church when my mom was like high and didn't know where we were going. And we would just get on those community buses that would come through town and pick up families or kids. And I would just go to church because I always felt like there was a voice telling me that there was a greater destiny. I just needed to stick with it. And so at no point in my life did I feel like defeated or this is it, or this is going to be a generational cycle for me. Um, it just has always been there that if I just stayed focused, if I was clear on my goals and what I wanted to do and kept envisioning myself in that corner office or as that leader or serving my community, creating a different life for my family, that it was there waiting for me. And I, it sometimes feels a little unfair because I'm, you know, I'm like, God, why me? Like, why? <laughs> I'm very grateful, but I just see so many folks, including my own siblings, who've had similar circumstances and their lives are completely different, which is why I know that I have a great responsibility. I know so much has been given to me. And so I just want to show my gratitude um, by giving all that I can to my community, not like neglecting myself or my family, but just something has always been there that has reminded me to be focused and that, you know, I, I would have the ability to do some really good things. Um, and I believed it. And so I just kept moving forward. So let's dive into a, some of the things that you have done. And specifically, I want to ask and start with the Senate Bill 5184 on, um, on having a point person for foster kids in schools. Because yeah. as you're answering that question, the previous one, you said it was something innate in you. And that's not the case for everyone. And I'm sure with your experience, you 
have been able to see that maybe in certain times you or someone you know needed the extra help or the extra support. So tell me a little bit about why you sponsored that bill and what it means to you. Yeah. And so some of the details that I, you know, didn't get to in my like quick story or just the number of people when I was in foster care who looked out for me, including my my friends' family who became emergency foster care parents, right? They recognized I had a need and they stepped up. Um, when I was in my um, first foster home and had never played recreational sports for a club or school, but I ran track and was the fast outside of three seniors was the fastest person in my school and became a state, you know, track athlete my freshman year of high school. And um, the folks who were connected to me just made sure that I had track shoes. Um, I had a really great social worker. There were two teachers at my school and they kept telling me they could see my brokenness. So they would say, gosh, you have such a good head on your shoulders you make straight A's or, you know, and A's and B's and you're such a beautiful young lady, but there is this rough edge. And I think they recognize, you know, when you are in foster care and living in shelters and when you have a mom that's on drugs and you're taking care of your brothers, again, there is a brokenness associated with it, but they would always encourage me. Um, They would bring me handbags or clothes or just little like dainty things that I love um, but they recognize like that I didn't have but they just showered me and recognize like she just needs encouragement she needs these little things that clearly you know she doesn't have um, and I really appreciated um, all of the folks in my life the women who took me who introduced me to girls groups um, but if it wasn't for those different points of contact in my life it wasn't their job they weren't trained to do so, it was their hearts. And what I love about this legislation is we get to be more intentional. We get to allow it to be someone's job and train them and make sure that they have the resources to provide that type of love and support and caring for our youth who are experiencing foster care. And I believe in it because it worked for me. And so I know that if someone um, smiles at you, encourages you, lets you know that they see you and simply helps to meet some of your needs, it will allow you to have more positive outcomes. And there's so much transition with our youth experiencing foster care um, that we do want to, we want to do everything we can to provide that stability. And I think that's, that's one of our fears because we have been removed from our homes and our familiar um, places and spaces and family members. And so many of us spend our lives looking for that attachment and stability. And I think this legislation kind of gives a jump start on um, just saying like, we're here and we wanna provide those critical resources and we wanna help to bring some type of constant or caring into the lives of our youth experiencing foster care. Um, Another one of your bills that you sponsor that really caught my eye and it's related, I think in some ways, and maybe you can help connect the dots for me, but is um, allowing sentencing, a mental health sentencing alternative and um, because you did talk a little bit about um, mental health and the, the importance of that and really finding stability, right, as a foster kid and then growing up. And so I was wondering if, if those two bills were at all connected and in your life experience. And then if you can talk a little bit about that one as well. Yeah, they're definitely connected to my life experience. I spoke about my mom um, developing um, a substance abuse d- disorder. and my mom experienced foster care, my mom experienced abuse, my mom experienced neglect and feeling unloved. And to try to deal with some of um, 
those challenges and, and mental health issues, she used other substances to, to cope. Um, my middle brother um, has always been developmentally delayed and struggled throughout school. And um, let me back up to my mom. A lot of her behaviors you can imagine, even as someone was dealing with the substance, substance abuse disorder. And there were some other behaviors too that were, that got her into trouble. But a lot of it was she needed support with her mental health, right? She needed, she needed intense therapy and counseling as well as a lot of the rehabilitation that she participated in. But she was criminalized a lot of that time period while she was struggling. And then my brother who also um, struggled with his mental health, um, was always suspended from school or expelled from schools, um, in trouble, um, disciplined. I mean, everything was so punitive. And this is someone who um, struggled with, you know, cognitive ability, struggled with making decisions on top of all of the trauma that we experience as young people. And, um, and even I, I mentioned several family members connected to military service and some of them deployments and serving in wars and looking at a lot of the trauma that they experience as well and the ways that they tried to cope from those experiences, which I've watched be criminalized um, and they're, you know, license suspended because of DUIs or just different, different behavior. And I think I want us to take a better look at our community members who are struggling with mental health and give them alternatives, other options, um, and just see them as humans. I think this legislation really taps into our humanity. And I want us, you know, if a crime is committed, there's there are consequences for that. But a lot of our community members are approaching these decisions um, because they are dealing with their mental health and dealing with trauma. Um, and trying to cope and making bad decisions as a result of it. But there is more that I believe we can do. I mean, there are a lot of um, pieces around the implementation that still have to be figured out because none of the help and support is free. I don't want folks who have been um, victimized or surviving because of any of those crimes um, to feel like a community member is not being held accountable and there's an, an out. I just want us all to look deeper and provide alternatives and help and support for our community members who are dealing with their mental health and to address those challenges um, and not just, not just be punitive and criminalize the behavior, but to get closer to the root causes. It sounds to me like what you're saying is we need a multifaceted approach and from where you're sitting and the experience that you've had in your own lifetime, you can see that clearly that there's a lot of things that are intertwined, which is why I asked you if the bills were at all, at all related in some way. And I know that you've been involved in a lot of legislation in your time already as a state senator, but is there a piece of legislation that you're most proud of? Those are the two that stood out to me, really, that I really wanted to ask you about, but I know you're obviously involved in so many different things. You have been an educator for a long time as well. Yeah. I'm definitely proud of those pieces of legislation. The other that I will add, because we worked so hard on this legislation and I wasn't sure if we were going to even um, get enough work done on it to get it heard on the floor, but the college bound um, access, increasing access to the college bound scholarship 
I was an educator. I taught a course called College Bound. Most of my students were recipients of the College Bound Scholarship and were planning to go to college. And um, what I noticed was there just was a lot of um, miscommunication around who qualifies, how to access it, when to sign up for it. My oldest daughter was a College Bound Scholar. Um, my son, who will be a senior next year, is a College Bound Scholar. And my daughter um, missed the sign up, but might not have um, qualified. Um, but because of COVID, she couldn't sign up in, in eighth grade. So, but we, I think we might have now exited that the bracket to qualify. But from experience, I know how challenging it is to have all the information about the scholarship and how wild it is to expect for a seventh and eighth grader to sign up for something that's gonna tremendously impact their lives six years down the line. Um, and so I wanted to remove some of the barriers from my um, own experience with my students. I wanted anyone who is qualified, and, and really this was um, not my brainchild, but as a legislator, you get to kind of shepherd these bills through. But I was so passionate from my experience working with college-bound scholars that I'm, I wanted to champion this bill. But it, it removed the pledge, having to sign the pledge, because each year about 10,000 students who would otherwise qualify for this scholarship would not return the forms, would not sign the pledge. And folks may ask, well, why didn't they sign the pledge? There are lots of reasons. Some of them could be if you have a busy household like ours has been, when there are all four of the kids home, lots of forms, lots of things to sign, things get lost and the stakes are high. We're talking about funding for college. So if you don't, if you didn't complete the form in seventh or eighth grade, you couldn't go back to do it. Right. Some of it is language barriers. Some of it is youth experiencing foster care and experiencing homelessness like I did. And so where are the forms? I can barely, I don't I barely have a toothbrush, let alone school forms. So um, there are just so many reasons why those forms didn't make it back. But we want, you know, the state has the ability to pay for some of the college education of our students. And I want to be a part of, you know, any type of mechanism or legislation that's going to allow students to access that funding. And so I'm just proud of how hard we work because um, it was a lot of conversations in the Senate and the House. Folks have been, you know, working on college bound um, legislation for many years, but we did it and we were able to remove the pledge and we were able to allow students to also sign up in ninth grade. And if there are special circumstances why a student didn't sign up in seventh, eighth, or ninth, they could be eligible to sign up in 10th grade. Youth experiencing foster care have been auto-enrolled for years, so that was already a part of the legislation. But more students now have, will qualify, um, more students will have access to funding for their college education, even if it's $500 or $1,000, that could be a game changer yep. for someone. So at the beginning of this podcast, I said that I was really excited to talk to you and politics aside, I've been covering a lot of local politics throughout my years as a journalist in a variety of different cities. And um, I also really, you know, understand that maybe people listening to this podcast are not Democrat, they're Republican. So I want to just kind of put that aside a little bit. And um, the legislation that you have shepherded through um, is just really fascinating. But talk about someone who I feel like I can see you coming out in these um, bills and the work that you have done and how your whole life seems to be like this beautiful treasure map, you know, and that you have really taken who you are and put yourself into this legislation. 
Um, I would love to get your reflection on how we as people and our own life experiences really do shape the news and what makes headlines and our relationship, as you said, with a broader community. Yeah, you know, I think it is not about, for me, life and living is not about politics. It's not about um, notoriety or Instagram followers or, you know, likes on Twitter. I think it is about the people and it is about humanity and all the things that we have in common and all the things that we don't have in common that still make us so unique and beautiful. And I think folks um, give so much power and credit to people who maybe have titles or success, however society deems it. And I think we forget that it, it really is um, all of us as everyday people that shape society, that we really have the power. And that more often than not, although um, only I feel like specific stories are told in media or in history, um, more of us have stories that are alike. And while folks may not be able to connect with me because they've experienced um, foster care per se, a lot of folks have experienced some type of deep detachment from family member or have experienced heartbreak, disappointment, um, struggling to pay a bill, um, struggling to just parent and love their kids and um, meet all the demands of being a spouse or, or partner, perform well at work. And I think those are the things that connect us as community. That's not what's told oftentimes. I think we, we see ourselves as so different. And, and if I could just achieve more and if I could just you know, lose weight or look a different way and get to some other level, but it's who we already are that makes us special, that makes us a community. Um, and if we focus more on, on those things, um, I just think we would find so much more fulfillment and, and happiness. And while I know we are unique, I think there's a lot of emphasis on like otherizing ourselves and I'm not like this person or I'm better than or not as good as the next person. But I've met so many people and have had so many experiences and it keeps me grounded because my friends who in this county, in this state are multimillionaires, they still struggle with parenting. They still struggle with addiction. My friends who are some of the most powerful people in this state still struggle with foreclosure, still struggle with relationships. So I get to see um, just people as they are. And that allows me to not have these unrealistic expectations for who I need to be. I just get to be who I am. And some days uh, it's, I want to curl my hair and be all dolled up. And other days it's, I want to wear sweats and I feel just as good either way. But I think um, we just have to keep ourselves grounded in, in all those ways that make us community and human and imperfect, which is beautiful, um, but also just who we need who we need to be. That's the journey that I'm on. And I think I just, I want that more for more of our society to stop. It's not the next best thing. Like what, what we have and who we are is, is great and wonderful. And we should feel contentness just more like regularly. 
Did you think all that before you stepped in the state legislature? Were you a little bit intimidated? Because right now we do have a time where we are seeing a lot of division in politics. And I think that politicians really get a bad rap these days that you guys don't get along. Um, did you bring that kind of attitude in when you started this new role or has that developed and have you found that there is camaraderie despite maybe your political ideas? I bring it with me. There is camaraderie. There's also politics. <laughs> and I think where I am now, what I'm trying to figure out for myself is that woman, that, that little girl and that woman that has helped me to sustain and has brought me my own, like allowed me to grow to this point. How do I keep her? Like, how do I rise to the occasion of this new responsibility? But how do I keep her? Because that has worked for me. That has allowed me to be a person that I feel proud of today. And so how do I not lose her in this process in the state legislature? And that's always at the forefront of my mind because there, it, it's, it's politics. There is a lot of cattiness and a lot of, you know, non-truths and who do you trust? And we work together, but we're also like independent contractors in each of our offices kind of. Um, so how do I still, I wanna let community know, especially when it comes to politics and government, one that like normal people can do this. Like, please don't put me on a pedestal of, you know, because I'm a Senator, it's I'm figuring things out too. I'm still learning what that means, how to serve, my community, how to bring good things back to the 28th, but I want anyone to know that they can achieve this. Um, and I also want to show that good people, my goal, like success to me would be to show that you can be a good person and survive in this environment. And I'm not saying that people who are here are not good people, but people have, community members have lost faith in government, so many of them. They don't trust government, they don't trust um, politics, and I know why I see a lot of things happening and I'm like, that's why people have no faith in the system. So I want to, I want to try to do things that are authentic to me. It's not about coming and doing things different or shaking things up. I just want to be authentically that girl and that woman, the person who's been on this journey. And I want to be consistent, even as I'm serving in the, in the legislature. Um, and that's what I've been talking to my therapist about like that to me will be success. And I won't, if I can't figure that out, then this isn't the place for me. If I have to change and become someone I can't be proud of, and I'm putting politics and games and, you know, gambling with the future of our community um, before the people I'm serving, it's time for me to exit the role. Let me ask you about that. You've mentioned that you do see a therapist. Um, and are there any other ways that you try to maintain that authenticity and that you as you're on this journey to make sure that you stay authentic to yourself and you are that little girl from way back when that was resilient. Um, what other practices do you put into your life? And I know you have a busy life. So um, what kind of things do you do on a daily basis? Yeah, well, one, I've given the folks in my life from my husband, my kids, my friends, my um, legislative assistant permission to reel it back in if they if, if I'm becoming someone that is not familiar to them okay. to let me know immediately like I everyone needs to help to hold me accountable um but on a on a daily I think like small practical things to to just keep me healthy and humble you know I want to make sure I'm keeping up my physical activity I want to make sure I'm doing the things that make me happy from you know 
getting my hair done to my nails done to going to chiropractor to my chiropractor to going to therapy, spending time with friends. I love being in the outdoors. And while COVID didn't stop me from being outdoors, I also like to be outdoors with like my family and friends and introducing all the girls that I mentor to the like different outdoor activities. So I am just getting back to, you know, making sure I'm staying active. Um, and one thing that I'm doing now that I have a large, a new responsibility added to my plate is saying right now, I'm being very intentional about saying no to things that are not related to, you know, my day job, my family, and the Senate responsibilities that are a major priority right now. Um, and it felt weird for a little bit because I, to run a campaign and to serve in my first session back to back was a busy year. And I think just to have some like not prescribed time felt different. I felt like, I don't know if I'm being responsible, what should I be doing? And it's like, I'm just being right now. I'm not doing like to sustain because I gave so much to my community as a Senator during session and as an individual that my community wanted to see run for this position that I need to reclaim some of that time, not to steal that from Monty Maxine, but I need to reclaim some of that time and rebuild myself. So it's more about, you know, being still reading, being okay with like silence and pause and just not doing. Um, so that I feel like I'm giving more quality time to the responsibilities on my plate because there there is more, but I want it to be focused and cared for. And I don't, I've never been one to be like all scattered, but when I went after session, all the stress from like that year was in my neck and shoulders. I had to use my Calm app almost every night during session just to like calm my brain. Like, don't think about, did you do the next step for the bill? Did you call it like, go to sleep, calm down. Like it is, you're turning that off. And it's been great. Cause I don't have to like use my Calm app as much. I can just use it when I you know want to. But I just, I, I know that I'm being intentional about taking care of myself and, you know, sitting down with my kids and making time for them and cooking. And I don't even like to cook, <laughs> but I have been cooking more. I have, I mean, let me back up. HelloFresh <laughs> has been helping me to do this, but with my HelloFresh meals, it reduces me having to like go buy all these ingredients. And I have been enjoying just preparing something for my family and giving them that time and time. And my 10 year old son last night, um, my kids are so honest. If I cook food, it doesn't taste good. They're like mm -mm, too salty too tough. This is nasty. We're not going to eat you. it. <laughs> yeah. And my son last night said, did you, he said, did you have fun making this? And I said, I did. I was like, why did you ask? He said, tastes good. I just want to know if you had fun. And I was like, yeah. I, 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 I just, that, it just was so strange. I don't. <laughs> that is super sweet that they can recognize that. And um, I actually wanted to ask you about your kids and some of the lessons that you teach them. Obviously, you want them to have a full, vibrant, happy life and maybe yeah. not, I'm, I'm guessing here, but maybe not experience some of the hardship that you have experienced. So what do you teach them about, you know, being authentic, keeping a good head on their shoulders, going forward and achieving their dreams? Yeah, I, uh, Jessica, you've asked me some really good questions. I think that's the first question where I don't, I don't think that's the right question. Okay. These kids teach me like, what do these kids, <laughs> I, when I look at my kids and how um, they're incredible people and they have the voice of an advocate, they're 
well onto like social justice issues. And it doesn't matter if it's around LGBTQ or around racial justice. They speak up about, you know, issue. They ask questions about things that they see in their school. Um, they're so responsible. And sometimes I feel like I just simply cannot take credit. I think the reality is, um, obviously I am having an influence on my kids, but they're such incredible people. All I wanted to do was to give my kids a better life. And I know sometimes when people are younger, they dream of maybe a fancy car and a big house. Those weren't my goals for my children. I wanted to give them stability. I wanted them to be able to open their front door. They didn't have to say who is it and they just could trust that they would be safe. Because when I was a kid, I would open my front door and it sometimes would be people busting in to literally stab or shoot my mom in situations where I had to save her. I wanted my kids to be able to go to the same school all of their um, you know, K-12 career, be in the same district, I shouldn't say same school, because I went to a different school seemingly you know, every year, every year and a half. I don't even know all the schools I went to. I wanted my kids to experience community and just safety and love and attachment. And I wanted them to be opinionated. I wanted them to have a voice, which is not customary in the South especially, but I, I always had a vision that my kids will be able to say respectfully what they're thinking and how they're feeling and know that they can disagree. They don't have to be in agreement with me, right? How they do that is important, um, but they challenge me and they challenge the things around them. And I just could not be more proud. And I just say, if honestly, if, if God took me today, I just think anything that I wanted to fulfill on this earth for myself, for my family, for my community has been achieved. I don't have any regrets. And I feel confident that who these little humans are, they're set, they're great. They're gonna do amazing things. I trust, I trust them. I, they're so young, but I, I trust it. Like it, it makes me so emotional when I look at my kids and know how much more I want for them. Um, but I hope that they can see that um, their family contributed. We don't just live in this community. We serve in this community, we give back. We try to make this community better. And I hope that they feel a responsibility for this community and will always serve. But they, I mean, when I think about it, it, it just makes me so emotional because I want only the best for them. And I know every parent wants that for their kids, but they deserve it. They're such incredible people that they deserve simply the best. Um, but yeah, they teach me every, every day. I know you teach them too. So I'm going to stand by my question. Um, I will say this. I know that um, you've mentioned this several times now in your answers, but just how important community is. And I really want to reiterate with this podcast, you know, how our relationships and what's happening in our own lives and our own brains often manifests itself into our headlines and what we see around us, right? And the responsibility, I think, in my opinion, that we all have to shape our community. So I don't know if you want to, you know, leave our listeners with anything on that and, and um, being open and, and watching what is happening in our community, looking and making sure that we are in tune with what's happening in the news, being able to reach out to you, the legislators. Um, is there anything that you want to add with that or anything that I haven't asked you in this podcast that you think is really important for us to really become more cohesive here in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is people need to see more good they need to feel goodness, they need to feel kindness. 
And I think if everyone could just try to bring more of that to our community, again, we don't have to always agree, but if we could just show more kindness, more love, bring more goodness to the people and things around us, we would all significantly benefit. And I think we don't, um, we don't think about that enough. Like it's so easy to be negative. It's so easy to be critical. It's so easy to be mean and to like go off on someone. It is far more challenging and far more rewarding to extend grace, to be kind, to invite someone in, um, to say, I'm not sure. I've never been around um, a person who thinks this way or looks this way, but I can be good and kind to them and I can be understanding and I can still invite them in. And I think that's um, how I want people to perceive me as a legislator. I serve folks who um, have different experiences than me, different opinions, um, want to see different things for our community. And it doesn't, it doesn't make either of us better or worse or, or good or, or bad, right? We live in this community together, but I just, I try to still invite them to share as long as it's respectful. Um, I want it to matter. And I think, you know, if folks want to reach out to me, they can, if they want to, I, I want to hear from my community. Um, but yeah, just do good, be good, be kind to each other. That's my, that's my journey. And sometimes it, you know, sometimes it doesn't always, like I have, I have done things that were good and still like gotten my heart broken, right? Because it's like, I gave this person these tools or resources and wasn't pleased with maybe what they did with it, but I have to let that go. My, my role is to offer what I can in a most positive way. And that's what I would encourage others to do. It will be hard sometimes. It will break our hearts sometimes, but I still feel like it's the right thing to do. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I know you are very busy and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, and your, your question about the kids is a really good question. Our kids are, they just teach me so much, but thanks <laughs> for your time. Thanks for this podcast. Yeah. And I, I hope to continue listening to your uh, different sessions and, and episodes. And um, I hope folks will learn as much as, as I hope to. Once again, that was Washington State Senator Tawana Nobles representing the 28th District. Much more detailed information on the bills that she mentioned in our show notes. I'm Jessica Janner Castro, and you've been listening to the Mindful Headlines podcast. My goal with each episode is to understand how our minds influence current events so we can better understand our world inside and out. Make sure to subscribe for more episodes and please share with your friends and family. See you next time.